Hello, curiosity seekers. Welcome to Dissecting Medical History. I'm Ange. I'm a travel nurse, medical history enthusiast, and your host. If you're looking for a storytelling formatted podcast with fun and fascinating topics on history and bios, then you are in the right spot. Please note this is not in any way medical advice. If you have anything that's ever discussed in any of the podcast episodes, please seek medical attention. Now, let's get this story started. Hello, curiosity seekers. I'm getting my episode out late this week, and I am really sorry about that. I've been moving around California a little bit, so things got a little hectic there for a minute. But today's episode is, if you hadn't figured out from the title, is about the history of toothaches. I did not bring a guest on today for this cringe-worthy topic, so it's just me and you. We haven't done that in a while, so I hope you don't mind it just being me. But I like talking to all of you like as if I was talking to my friends and just telling you a story, so I hope you feel that way too. So let's get this story started. Did you know that February 9th is National Toothache Day? Yeah, Toothache Day. I read that this might be the day Hershey's was founded, but I'll tell you the real reason later. But yeah, February 9th. Though it is kind of strange that it's included in the National Celebratory of Days, which I think you'll find strange too after I tell you the story of why this day is celebrated in the first place. But anyway, if that date doesn't actually give you a reminder to call your dentist to make an appointment, then this episode might. (laughs) Um, Perhaps the word toothache gives you pain or just brings back memories that you'd rather forget. I know for me it does. I think of toothache and I, I flash back. But last year, in the middle of the shutdown for this pandemic we're going through, I had a massive toothache. A toothache can make your whole body ache. It can bring you to your knees. Or maybe that's just me. But it turns out that my root canal needed a root canal. The first dentist didn't apparently go far enough to deaden the nerves or whatever they magically do so you don't hurt anymore. So being a travel nurse, I don't exactly have like a home dentist. So holy crap, I was put out. Here's a pandemic. Couldn't find a dentist. They weren't seeing patients. um, But I did find one that referred me to one of those virtual phone call dentists, which doesn't exactly help you take care of the reason you're having the pain. But they ask you all these questions, I guess, to make sure that you're okay to get narcotics and antibiotics. And then in the meantime, you kind of still have to find a dentist. It'll see you. Uh, stick their faces in yours and promise that you don't have COVID and promise you don't work with people that have COVID. And at the time, I was working on a unit that was turned into a COVID unit. So I had to, I didn't lie and say I wasn't working with patients, but at the same time, it was very difficult. But I did find a dentist willing to take me. And I also need to mention that I have to be put out because I have TMJ. TMJ is like this 
where the cartilage in the jaw kind of slipped so the jaw uh, is like bone on bone. When my jaw is open really wide, it tends to lock. And like if I eat an apple that's too big or I chew nuts too much or gum, it tends to lock up and um, get real tight. And then I, I get instant migraines. So it's really hard to do work in the back when I, I obviously can't keep my mouth open. So they usually will put me out or something. Um, those little wedges they put back in there, they don't help either. So anyway, I had to find a dentist that would be doing that too. Luckily, I didn't have to get put out. They were able to just gas me and, and do it very quickly. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, they took care of my pain. But, you know, the thing is, we live in an age where you can do that. You could go to the dentist and get this stuff taken care of, even though it's inconvenient during a pandemic. That is my point. We have it pretty good regardless. I can't talk about toothache history without telling you about St. Apollonia. As I mentioned, National Toothache Day is February 9th, and that is the day the Roman Catholics remember her. According to Catholic.org, she lived an extremely, extremely long time ago. I couldn't even find her birthday, but her death, which is the most important part of the story, was 249. She lived during the Emperor Philip the Arabian reign in Alexandria, which was only from 244 to 249. Her story was recorded by another saint in a letter to a bishop. Basically, what happened was the Christians were being unprotected by the authorities, and a mob broke out against them. A man and a woman were killed by the mob, and homes were being pillaged, and then Apollonia was taken. They think she was a virgin deaconess from the title that the bishop, the the saint gave her in that letter. The men beat her over and over, especially in the face, resulting in all her teeth being knocked out. Then they made a bonfire and told her to denounce her faith or die. She asked for a little freedom from their grips, and then she ran right into the fire, making herself in the eye of the church a martyr. She is seen as the saint of toothaches or dental issues because of what she had so violently endured. She's also thought to be the tooth fairy in parts of Italy. Her image is seen with a golden tooth on a necklace or a pair of pinchers with a tooth on it. And in Europe, um, England specifically, there are 52 images of her uh, all around. And if you wanted to go and see where they are, you can look up the locations on the catholic.org website. Now, if you have been unfortunate enough to have toothaches, then you know how the pain can come and go. You might be all relaxed and enjoying life one minute, and then something cold or breathing too hard will remind you that you have a massive amount of pain. And it'll it takes a while to subside. You have to go get pain medicine or whatever. And it comes and goes. It's really weird, right? Well, I think this might be part of the reason why one of the theories out there lasted an extremely long time. As early as 1800 BCE to even 18, the 18th century in parts of the world, 
believed that the teeth had little tiny worms in them, worm teeth or teeth worms, whichever you want to say. They made these little holes in the tooth and then would hide in the tooth. And then when they were moving around, that's when you would feel the pain, which is probably why you don't have pain all the time. They're not moving all the time. Some believed it was a curse from God, but did they believe that the worm was the curse that caused the pain or was the pain the curse? Anyway, I find it really interesting that the belief in worms was around for so long. And did they think that the worms fell out or got swallowed once the tooth came out? Or did they think the worms were so small they could hardly be seen by the naked eye? And if that were the case, why was it so hard to believe that there were microorganisms that called in, caused infection? Perhaps those are the worms they're really speaking of. Anyway, dentistry wasn't considered a profession until 1878. This is why Nellie, the Wild West dentist in a previous podcast episode I did, could get away with practicing without proper schooling and be a woman. The earliest known dentistry practice was about 7,000 BC. They used bow drills, and they were probably used by some of their more skilled craftsmen, those that did the beads and whatnot. In medieval Scotland, they would use a caterpillar wrapped in a red cloth that would be placed next to the ailing tooth. I have no idea why a caterpillar would be used. Does a caterpillar eat worms? And isn't a caterpillar a worm itself? I mean, it's kind of fuzzy. And how do you keep the caterpillar to stay? Or was it supposed to be dead? I don't know. I have all these questions. That seems pretty tame, though, if you compare it to India's remedy of filling a cavity with wax, then liquefying it with a hot poker. Then, Sylvania, B.C., they were using beeswax to fill cavities, which I think is a lot smarter because your body heat can make that mold into the space that you need it to go. And you wouldn't have to have, like, some hot poker to make it melt. The Chinese used acupuncture for both toothaches and gum disease. They also had pills and mouthwashes that they could do, and they had some powdered leaves that they would crush up to use for pain relief. The Arabians tried many different things before resorting to teeth pulling. They would fill the cavities with a cement made of mastic and alum. Now, mastic is a resin from a Mediterranean tree, and alum is an astringent type compound. Then there were the mixture of castronium, pepper, ginger, storax, opium, and some plant roots. And if that didn't work, they would try leeches. And if that didn't work, they used a special concoction with arsenic. They also tried bloodletting and purgatory um, purgatives. Uh, also, that if a tooth was loose, that it could be strengthened. And to do that, they would either use astringents or they would tie the tooth to the neighbor teeth with silver wire, or they would do both. Uh, the ancient Greeks, they didn't bother with temporary fixes. They just learned pulling the tooth was probably the cure. They also believed in more natural cures as well. So they probably used things for pain relief uh, that were natural plants and plant-based. Then there were the ancient Egyptians. 
that thought a dead mouse to the tooth was a good idea. I actually did find a depiction of this on the internet where they were shoving this little mouse into this poor person's mouth. And yet I still have so many questions. Like in this picture, it was the whole mouse. So that answers one question. I guess it has to be the whole mouse. I saw the tail and everything. But can you wash it first? Does it have to be dead? Does it matter what color the mouse is? In the picture, it was white. Does it have to be free of pests? How long do you leave it? Do you eat it after? Or do you give it to your pet snake? Like what, what is, do, do, do mice like to eat worms? Like, I don't understand any of that, but, but that was a thing. The Orthodox Jews from back in the day thought the cure was to use sour juice. I'm currently sipping on some crayon cherry juice. And while I would love to think that this is preventative to future cavities, somehow I doubt it. Though maybe the Orthodox Jew juice didn't have as much sugar as ocean spray. I read one article about a Roman who said a frog was to be caught during the full moon and then you spit into its mouth while saying these words. Frog, go and take my toothache with thee. I suppose that is better than kissing a frog and then having two pains. Get it? The toothache and the prince? <laughs> okay, anyway, bad joke. I also did an episode on Aztecs last year, and they were pretty hygienic, but even they could get toothaches. Their remedy would be to chew on hot chili. And I don't know about you, but when I have something very spicy, my whole mouth turns numb. So maybe the cure isn't really a cure. It's just to keep your mouth in a numb state until the tooth falls out or forever. I don't know. Then... There was preventative measures like the medieval English would swear by wearing the tooth of a corpse to ward off those nasty worms. And I don't think it mattered who the tooth belonged to, as long as it was some dead person. A while back, I did an episode on the snake oil king. He had a concoction that he advertised as helpful with toothaches, along with every other ailment under the sun. But his ingredients lacked anything helpful. But he was not the only peddler out there preying on the desperate, selling miracle cures. While not a cure and more of a pain reducer, it was thought that putting the oil of cloves on some cloth or cotton and then putting that on the tooth would help. And this is actually something that's still considered a natural remedy today. And if you Google it, you'll see that there is a lot of natural remedies out there. These natural remedies, though, aren't telling you not to go see a dentist. Just be mindful. Okay, around the time of the popular use of industrial sugar is when teeth were starting to rot out pretty quickly and the theory of worms became silly. And instead of cures, they would just take the rotten teeth out. The electric drill was still not around or Novocaine was not yet invented, so there was a popular invention called the tooth key. It is kind of this clever little tool that has like a half circle thing and it clamps around the tooth and then you twist the handle and then it pulls the tooth out. Voila. It kind of looks like a corkscrew. I'll put a picture on Instagram, but it's an interesting looking thing. 
And of course, before that, they did have the pinchers and they used that for centuries. When I do the ep- an episode on the history of dentistry, I'm going to talk about a king who liked to do dentistry. Okay, for our next topic in this topic, we'll talk about something a little happier, the tooth fairy. When you think of the tooth fairy, does an image of sparkling winged Caucasian with a flowery wreath around her head holding a brightly lit wand come to mind? Or at least something to that effect? Well, in the way back times, Europeans would bury their teeth of the children for one reason or another. I don't know. Um, In Scandinavian countries, they would wear them as necklaces for luck in war. So they started giving money to the kids for their lost teeth. And I think it's kind of sweet. The image of a Viking dad wearing their kids' little teeth on a necklace to battle seems very sweet to me. Uh, it just sucks for the little for the childless warriors that had no children to buy teeth from. But maybe they sold them to the highest bidder. Who knows? Anyway, in the medieval times, they would hide children's teeth from witches. They might be swallowed, buried, or even burned. That was the proper way to hide teeth from witches. The fact that the English would wear teeth from the dead to ward off toothaches, and they believed in witches, makes me start to think that the English are quite superstitious. In France, the tooth fairy came around the 18th century with a fairy that would turn into a mouse to help a good queen fight an evil king. The mouse hides under the pillow of the king and then knocks out all the teeth to defeat him. I am sure having your teeth knocked out by a mouse is humiliation enough to take the crown and walk away. It's a very silly story. I don't know how that came about, but that was a thing. And as all good things start out, the money given to kids would be after the sixth tooth. But cost of living, inflation, yada, yada, it started to be after every tooth. And then you hear about it at school, so-and-so got a gift or money after the first tooth. And the next thing you know, all the parents are having to keep it up. But I'm not sure what the tradition is where you are, but I read that the average amount under the pillows today is $3.49 in the U.S. And I think I remember when I was a kid, my tooth fairy left $2 bills or silver coins, like the silver dollars. It's been so long, I don't actually remember, but I think that was, I think that was what I got. Anyway, well, that was the brief history of toothaches and the history of tooth fairies. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed today's mental vacation from your current life. If you did and are curious for more, please subscribe. Before you go, if you have anything to add to today's show or you have a topic that you think is worthy of dissection, please reach out on dissectingmedicalhistory.com or Instagram on dissectingmedicalhistory. Thank you and stay curious.